Hi everyone, my name is Steve Tudor and welcome to the Friday Show. It's the show that's finally got to the bottom of one of the longest running conundrums around this time of year. So Die Hard is undoubtedly a Christmas film because it's set at Christmas time and for all the violence has some of the familiar tropes associated with Yule Time flicks. But some people just have to be contrary for the sake of it and by doing so, they are so very, very wrong. We hope this clears matters up. But enough with the forthcoming festivities because there's football to deal with first, namely a tricky trip to the south coast of the city with the Blues looking decidedly meh roundabout now. Is there a fundamental problem with Project Pep? Can it be resolved? Joining me to discuss all this, I have two action heroes in their own right who would have simply kicked Hans Gruber's arse straight away rather than hiding air vents like a pussy. It's Ali and Asan. Hi Ali, you okay mate? Yippee-ki-yay, melon farmers. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you took that off me, Ali. That's what I was going to open with. But go for it, mate. Well done. Are you well, mate? I'm very well indeed, thanks. All the better for a little diehard reference. Absolutely. Get, get me started. Aesad, uh, how are you, Bob? Um, I'm all right. I'm, in fact, I'm really good. I'm, good. I'm, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a festive mood. Well, at the risk of sounding like a taxi driver here, are you both all kind of set for Christmas? You got all effing arranged? It's a weird one. I I, I feel mm. like I uh, I can't possibly be because I haven't left the house yet. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I have uh, um, furnished uh, our friendly neighbourhood tax avoiders with God knows how many orders for like, absolutely everything under the sun. Uh, so um, I can't possibly be ready for Christmas, but yet yeah, just somehow possibly and perhaps I am, which is a first, I have to say. Yeah, it's creeping up. Well, week today, isn't it? So it really is creeping up now. Uh, Aysan, are you all set? Are you all good to go? Presents, um, etc.? Um, no. So we're alone for Christmas because <clears throat> we're here and everybody that we know on the island is is leaving um and so we had a conversation this morning where we we're a bit like what are we actually gonna do next week are we like we're, we're not we're not quite sure if we're gonna go out and have christmas dinner out somewhere because there's a few places that are open or whether we're gonna buy some stuff and uh and cook at home and in terms of presents no like this year with like nieces and nephews we just sent money to their parents to figure it out and with the adults, we prefer to give to charity this year. So we basically said, like, you know, let's all, between friends and family, we agreed that we'd make charitable contributions rather than uh, rather than actually figuring out how to send presents around the world. You see what I mean? It just, it kind of, they, we, I had this, me and Claire had this moment where we were just like, you know what? Like mo- most of our friends and our family, have, we're all very lucky. Do you know what I mean? It's been a really hard year for a lot of people and we've got to the end of it and we've been relatively lucky, as I say. So we felt like the right thing to do would not to be, you know, to buy stuff that you don't need and then ship it around the world, but actually just to try and give to a charity somewhere. So, so yeah, so I think that that's what we'll do. So it's, it's definitely a weird Christmas in that on one hand, it doesn't feel very Christmassy, but at the same time, I love this time of year. So for me, I'm really like, yeah, I, I think this podcast is the last thing that I have to do uh, this week before we kind of begin to think about going out, figuring out if we're going to buy food, that right. kind of stuff. And yeah. so I think that my excitement will build in the next few days. 
I'm very much with you with the kind of thinking, you know, others have it a lot tougher. I mean, last night I had a conversation with the wife and we were talking about when to take our turkey out. And we were like, oh, should we bring it out at half 11? Oh, should we bring it out at 11? What should we do with it? In the meantime, we've got the veg to put in. And, and we were getting all worked up about it. And suddenly it just hit me. Well, you know, as problems go, it's not the biggest, is it? No, Others absolutely. So, yeah, it is. As I know it's a cliche, but this really is a time when if things are going okay, we really should count our blessings. And, and I certainly am doing that right now. Definitely. And I think especially, sorry, just one more thing I just want to say, especially when it comes to food and what you just said is is actually more or less the conversation that me and Claire had that, you know, rather than being like, oh, what are we going to eat? Like, we're going to eat this, we're going to eat that. It's like, I feel this year more than any year that I'm actually just thinking about people who it's not, the, who don't have a choice. Who You see what I mean? Like, to, I'd rather figure out how I can help people who need some help this Christmas rather than thinking selfishly about myself and like, what am I going to eat? In the end, it's fine. Whatever I have will be absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, a big and, shout out and to uh, Kyle Walker, the, um, you know, contributor in 93 and obviously um, uh, Radio Manchester. Um, he's done something this morning where he's arranged, um, I don't know the number, but it's a significant number of selection boxes to be sent around to children who, you know, without them this Christmas. So that's a fantastic thing to do, I think. That's incredible. Well done, Kyle. And basically, like we, we, we did a few weeks ago, we did the, we did the food bank 12 hour thing. Anybody who's listening to this, those food banks constantly need money. So if you gave two, three weeks ago and you can afford to give again today, find the link. We'll tweet a link give to the food banks now this year right now this is the moment if you've got a few quid spare throw it over there absolutely right let's move on to footballing matters which are wholly insignificant in comparison of course but right now it feels very significant for blues it feels like something is very much afoot um ali i'll start with you is it fair to say that southampton city tomorrow there's more than three points at stake here. It feels like the reputation of Pep's project is on the line somehow. I agree it feels like that. I suspect um, the reality of the, of the situation is it, it's not like that and that when we get to March or May or this time next year, um, Southampton v City in, in December 2019 mm. will be entirely irrelevant to everything else. Um, but there is definitely a sense of kind of... Um, just impending crisis or 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 snowballing crisis at the moment, uh, and it has to be knocked on the head. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm I'm absolutely aware and conscious that what's happening now uh, is not new. It's what's been happening since the beginning of last season. Yeah, uh, we'd have a couple of decent games and then a couple of terrible ones, and then two on, and then one off, and then one on, and then two off, and yeah, uh, and it's been going on and on and on. So um, I don't think we're I don't think we're the kind of club at this point in time that's going to be uh, dumping our iconic manager to replace him with Big Sam um, <laughs> or anything along those lines for the foreseeable future. Uh, but uh, I think that there's there's a definite crisis with our quality and our performances on the pitch. Um, but I don't think I could be wrong, but I don't think it's kind of a like a structural crisis at the club at the moment um and i think with a passage of time whatever happens tomorrow um 
you know, a, a bit of time will pass and, and it will be forgotten again. Um, but, you know, we, we do have to get a grip on it sooner rather than later. I quite like the idea of Big Sam coming in just for the shitting. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that in my other line of work, I've interviewed mm-hmm. maybe 200, 150 players and managers. There's only two I didn't like, Teddy Sheringham and Sam Allardyce. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it was a... Well, it was a, through a lager company um, over the Euros, I believe, over no, the World Cup, the last World Cup. And so mm-hmm. we had to interview him once every three or four days. And so you'd expect a bit of a rapport to build up in a relationship. But no, he was just not a nice man. I just didn't like him. And I asked him a question at one point about um, potential signings for Premier League clubs on, you know, the, the standout stars of the World Cup. And he mentioned uh, a Mexican fullback who'd had a, a great game the previous night. And then beyond that, he couldn't name a single player. I just thought, you're not even watching the games here. You've got very little interest in this world. <laughs> so, um, Ace, I just want your take on the same kind of point, really. It's, my interpretation is, at the start of last season, as Ali said, that, that was really the root of it. That's when it all began. Um, and everyone was bemused. And it took a good while for everyone to think, hang on, we're, we're really not looking like the same city of old. Mm-hmm. Um, then we've, it's put down to form, it's put down to this, it's put down to that. I've just felt in the last seven days, or particularly since the West Brom game, that Blues mm. now, it's become entrenched, it's become established now that there is a significant problem. Would you go along with that? I think the problem is people like you saying that we're entrenched in a problem mm. because that's not, I, I realise that that sounded very personally attacking. You don't mean <laughs> that. What I mean is like, so that one of the, one of the things that I think that as football supporters, it's normal that you don't have is perspective or context. Yeah. Generally, you view football through the very narrow prism of the team that you support and what their last result and performance was. You're only as good as your last result. And you're only as good as your last performance. And there has been too much inconsistency over the last 12 to 18 months at City. Um, I think where my opinion begins to diverge is that I'm very okay with the idea that um, you cannot be 100 points a season good every season. And you cannot be the dominant team in a league every season. It's just that doesn't exist. I mean, the great Barcelona side that was going to last forever didn't last forever. The Real Madrid side that won three European Cups on the bounce is just no longer that team anymore. And I think that I'm a little bit okay with the idea that on the one hand, we must judge Guardiola by the standards that he set. And he's the guy who set 198 points over two seasons as a standard. So of course, when his team drops below that and he can't live up to that, either in performances or in results, there will be criticism. However, where I get a little bit uncomfortable is this notion that something is broken, that you know, I've read a lot of hyperbole since uh, since the West Brom game, and most of it centers around the idea of crisis and the idea that the problem is Guardiola and people don't want to say it out loud. So nobody wants to say 
I want Pep sacked. So, but everybody wants to dance around the idea that it's all Pep's fault, that it can't be anything but Pep's fault because it's not one player, it's six or seven players that are underperforming. Even that, as a point of view, it absolutely has merit. A lot of the responsibility will fall on Pep as a manager. But as we sit here today, I don't think that there is a better collection of people to build a team to get 198 points over two seasons than the people who built the team to get 198 points over two seasons. So I'm okay with the idea that something is wrong and I'm okay with the idea that we're a team in transition and I'm okay with the idea that the for the players that we've got, we've underperformed. But at the end of the day, I'm also okay with the idea that I don't want anybody sacked. I don't want Pep going. I don't want Bergerstein going. I don't want Soriano going. I don't want Khaldun going. Those guys have done it once. They just need to go out and do it again. And I'm sure that they will do. So the existential crisis of the immediate results and that's not good enough and we won't win the title and win out all that business, whatever, man. Like the, the bigger picture for me is I don't want to lose Pep. I don't want to lose the board, the football people at our club. I think we're very lucky to have the football people that we have at our club. So, you know, whatever happens next, I trust them to get it right. And that's not to say they haven't made mistakes. Bad signings, definitely. Bad tactics, definitely. Bad substitutions, definitely. Bad calls by Pep, definitely. All that stuff exists. It's just the idea that there's a quick fix out outside of City or there's a, a, a snap your fingers and this will fix it all. Nah, it's, uh, it's a, it will take time. It's a, it's a little bit of a, I don't want to say a rebuild, but we're a team in transition and... When you're a team in transition, you won't be perfect. So it'll take us a bit of time to get it right. Okay. I mean, I, I do disagree with one aspect of that, which is, well, it really comes down to kind of pessimism versus optimism. I, I can't really imagine this team coming out of this transition and becoming the same team as we were, you know, as this kind of highly successful winning machine. I can't imagine that at this point. Having said that, to balance that out, that was hard to envisage before those two brilliant seasons, you know. It's not sustainable. Like the, the issue with the, the problem with that standard that Guardiola and Klopp have set is that that's not sustainable. You might be able to do that for a year or two, but, you know, so look at it from, and I, I actually think this is where the mistakes began and ended. When that season ended, 18-19, and those players did 14 wins on the bounce and needed to do them because had they dropped a single point, Liverpool win the league. It was very obvious in the last month of that season, everybody was running on fumes, yeah? And I think the biggest issue is that that moment when that season came to a close, somebody at the club should have said, we need to do for want of a better phrase, we need to do a Ferguson here. We need to jettison a big player and we need to bring in two big players because we need to shake this up. We need to 
put pressure on the players that are already here and at the same time we need to give others a break and we didn't do that refresh we were complacent we looked at the squad and we went yeah but the squad's amazing because we have Sane and we have Bernardo and we have Sterling and we have Mares and we have Aguero and we have Jesus but I was look and we have De Bruyne but I was looking at it and I was going hey those players have just done 198 points in two seasons. I think it's physically impossible for them to go again at that pace. And so it proved. And mentally impossible as well. I think. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I mean. That the, When I say physically impossible, I'm talking about the mentality of it. The Raheem Sterling in 17-18 that had never won a Premier League title before is a completely different player from the Raheem Sterling of three years later who's won eight trophies or something like that and, you know, has got all of this other stuff going on in his life. And is ju- you see what I mean? Like, it's, we want to, I understand why we want to, and we can be angry at players for underperforming, but as I get older... And this isn't, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to make excuses for any player. It's just reality. Like, as you get older, you realize that people are human. Players are human. You, you know, you can have a good season and a bad season. Stones can have shit going on in his personal life and everything can fall apart for nearly two years. And then he can flick a switch. Something happens. It clicks and he's back and he's focused. So with all of that stuff in mind, I'm... I'm not sure that that pace that we used to operate at, I'm not sure that that idea that the bottom 16 teams in the league were just six points home and away, week in, week out, relentlessly. I'm not sure that's possible because I don't think that we can remain that good. And also, I think what when you are that good when you're City and Liverpool and you operate at that level, eventually it raises everybody around you. What's the phrase? Ali, you should know this being a better writer than me. Um, what is it? A height, a rising tide lifts all boats or something like that. You see what I mean? Like the point is that when we, when City and Liverpool are that good, the teams around us, the teams in the league have to get better and they have gotten better. For me, the league isn't as easy as it was in 17-18. So all of this stuff means that, for me, I don't feel we're in the middle of a crisis. I feel that we're in the middle of not a great season, and we're in the middle of some type of transition, and we're also in the middle of a weird season because results are anomalous all over the place. So for me, contextually, I hope that I don't sound like I'm making excuses. I just genuine because I don't feel like I'm making excuses I don't like to draw against West Brom and I want us to win the league every year but I'm okay with this season with what's happening right now okay Ali um, I'm intrigued to to know your take on that was there anything what Asan said there that you disagreed with Oh, I've been sitting nodding so hard. I've been getting a, a sore neck here, by and large. Um, the only thing I'd, I'd kind of added, I'm not sure I'm disagreeing, but I think this week has uh, brought into focus for me that there are, I think, two quite different and equally important questions about City and our form. Um, one is, why are we performing at a level so far below where we were in those two title-winning seasons? Um which is a really, that's the question I think Isan just answered. And I think that, you know, that 
element of burnout and exhaustion and, and just an inability to sustain those kind of uh, stratospheric levels year after year after year is absolutely at the heart of it. But then I think there's another question that we haven't been talking enough about as, as city fans and, um, and commentators, uh, which is why are cities so far below where Liverpool in particular are, but also to a certain extent other teams in, in the Premier League now? Um, and this week, particularly in what happened midweek, uh, just you know, brought home a, a point that I've, I feel like I've turned into a stuck record on. Um, what happened when both City and Liverpool were in the 89th minute at 1-1 this week? Uh, City uh, had two or three clear-cut chances and headed it, kicked it straight at the goalkeeper over the bar, uh, against the bar, again and again and again, and we ended up 1-1. Liverpool uh, had one chance and turned it into a goal and won their game 2-1. Uh, and when that is happening as a one-off, you can put it down to uh, you know the luck of you know, the luck of the green and, and how sport kind of throws up uh, uh, examples of luck and, and good fortune and all the rest of it. But this has happened again and again and again and again for 18 months now. Um, we have lost the ability to salvage three points from a draw or one point from a defeat. Um, I can't remember the last time we salvaged any points at all in the last minute. Liverpool seem to do it every single week. Yeah. Um, and I, when you look at the, you know, why are Manchester City, um, last season, whatever it ended up, 20 points behind Liverpool? It's not because they have got better players than us. It's not because they've got a better manager than us. It's not even they've got better tactics or, or strategies or anything else. It's because when push comes to shove, they find a way to somehow bundle a ball over a line and, and get themselves a winning goal or, or you know, claw back points. And we have totally lost that. Um, and that's not to do with strategy. It's not even to do with the, the players we've got. I think you could probably rotate all of our players, bring in new ones, and, and the, the same problem might well apply. It's that lack of um, clinical killer instinct at the absolute key moments. Um, that's what's abandoned us. Um, and it, it, we... We were never great at that, to be honest. I think the the first of our two uh, title winning seasons under Pep, uh, there was a little spell round about Christmas. I think when we were in the middle of the um, the record winning you know, nineteen wins in a row or whatever it was, mm. um, there was a couple of games. One of which I think was against Southampton. Yes. There was another one against yes. West Ham. I think there was a third one, and they all came within a few weeks of each other, uh, where Raheem in particular stepped up and and stole a winner for us at, at the absolute death. Um, I can't remember that happening since. Um, and I, I don't know what the problem is. It is. I mean, golfers talk about getting the yips when they're on the green, uh, when they can be playing absolutely perfectly and in practice everything's fine and they can pot, uh, uh, pot their ball from like 18 yards on any surface at all. And then it comes to a, you know, the killer moment in a championship uh, the, the playoff or whatever, and suddenly your your ability to 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 pot just abandons you. And I think City get like that in front of goal, um, and it, yeah. it's a psychological thing. And I think rather that I've been thinking this week, what we need to do it's not bringing in a new striker or a new creative midfielder. It's bringing in a new psychologist. You know, I think that's where the problem is. Yeah, mm. I completely agree. Alexander, do you put a large part of our scoring problem down to a loss of belief because? Um, what Ali was saying there, I think, is so true. And when City need to score now, whatever situation it is, when they need to score, I don't have absolute faith in them anymore. 
Whereas I used to have absolute faith in them. Now, it's, it stands to reason, surely, that if I feel that, that way as a fan watching, then the players are also going to feel that. They're going to have less belief in themselves than they used to. Do you think that is a factor? I think, yeah. I mean, look, I think confidence in any walk of life is um, is key. You know, professionally, I think if you if you go in to do your job and you don't feel confident, you, that's generally going to mm. show itself in your performance. And I, I think that it's natural when a team is going through such a bad, re- relatively speaking, such a bad moment that um, the confidence will will dip. I think you know those misses. The more you miss, the more it gets in your head. So all of that stuff, I'm, I'm completely, I get it. Like I agree with it. And I know there's a mental issue, but my wider issue with this is those players have had their hard drives burnt out over the last three years dealing with Pep. Somebody else at the club should have identified, lads, we need more than what we have. I'm going to keep coming back to the same thing. There was a level of complacency that I think set in at the end of the 17-18 season. I think what happened at the end of 17-18 is City get 100 points. They all sit around in the boardroom and they go, we are geniuses. And they all pat themselves on the back, right? But the knock-on effect of that is they also get a little overconfident in their smartness in the transfer window. And they get a little overconfident in Guardiola's ability to work miracles. Left back, we don't need a left back. Look at what Pep did. Delft, Zinchenko, no problem. Yeah? Like, next, the following season, in 1819, Sane can't get a game in the second half of the season, but we win 14 on the bounce. The level of complacency is so high, I imagine they begin to think, we don't need a Leroy Sane here. We're cool. But for me, what I could see was... You're asking these players to go to the well again in a way that week by week I can see is mad intensity. The Leicester game, the emotion when Vinny scores, flip it on its head. Imagine the pressure they're feeling with 14 minutes left thinking, if we don't score here, we're going to have done all of this work to throw this title away. That thing, it was then, that was the moment at the end. I'm convinced Ferguson, at the end of that season, sells two players and buys four players. I'm sure of it. Yeah. Because he looks at it and he goes, yeah, this lot aren't going to be able to do this again. I've, I've burnt their heads out. And so I'm not sacking myself. So two or three of these guys are going to go and I'm going to replace them. We never did that. We still look at Raheem. We still look at Mares. We still look at Aguero. We still look at Jesus and we still look at KDB and go deliver. We're in 2020 and I'm talking about the, the, we're coming into 2021 and I'm talking about 2019. I was saying their heads are burnt out. And I think the performances subsequently have shown that Kevin De Bruyne hasn't shown anywhere near his best form in the last few weeks or months maybe even in the last 12 months. You could list the attacking players at Manchester City and I defy anybody to point me in the direction of one of them who has shown the form of those two years subsequently. And I think if all of them aren't showing that form, your answer's there, no? 
Well, okay. I mean, I take that on board and I accept a, a large part of it. But Ali, where I kind of fall down on it is the comparison to Liverpool because Liverpool are in their third season now. This is when, you know, we would expect their hard drives to be burnt out. But clearly that's not the case. I mean, in the last two seasons, they lost one once in, in, in finished second. Uh, and then they stormed the league last year. They've been exceptional now for two years running. And this is their third year. And yet, as you said earlier, when it's 1-1, they've still got that drive to get that late winner through Firmino. And may I? May, may yeah, I? of course. Because I, I think it's... So, firstly, I think... I don't I don't think Liverpool are... are <laughs> listen, they lost 7-2 to Villa and they drew with Fulham last weekend. So they just ain't the team of the last two years ago. Like, they're good. They're better than us right now. But they ain't the team of the last two years ago. That's the first thing. Second thing... Um, they're actually a completely different team. So Liverpool, for me, are a team built on dynamism and physicality, right? That's how they uh, overcome. We overcome with brains. Like Guardiola is about control, yeah? Klopp is about heavy metal. I think the 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 argument could be in a difficult moment, it's easier if you're a heavy metal team to not be technically as good, to not be form-wise as good, but to have the heavy metal to get you over the line. For a team like City, where it's all about control, it's all about intelligence, it's all about be calm, be slower, be more precise in your movements, that when that doesn't work, you can't Pep wants to double down on that, right? But I feel this is, again, about needing new players. I think that this group of players, some of them, they're a bit like, well, okay, fine. If you want me to do that, then I'm going to be the literal definition of what you want me to be. I'll never lose possession because I'll never do anything dangerous. You see the distinction I'm making? On that point, um, a criticism of Pep, which I think is very legitimate, is the, the charge has become too cautious these past 18 months, certainly in comparison to the Pep of old. It used to be where he set aside, regardless of opponents, complete faith in his philosophy. This is how we play. We'll beat whoever. Of course, there was tweaks here and there, you know, if you went to Anfield or etc. Ali, it feels now that he's very much tailoring his side to each opposition. It feels like he's almost over-respecting the opposition. Does it feel the same way to you? Yeah, I certainly agree with the last part, but over-respecting. Um, I'm not sure how much he adapts to uh, the opponents. Um, I mean, it, it often feels to me that what Pep is doing is is kind of moving his pieces around on the board to see what happens, or mm. he's he's uh, he's conceptualizing these incredibly um, complicated and 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 um, rich. Uh, tactical uh, maneuvers, and then he picks teams to to uh, to meet those rather than necessarily the opposition. I mean, the amount of times he's picked a team uh, to um, apparently to to uh, take on one particular opponent, and then it is just badly uh, not worked out, or or teams when like we're we're playing 
Yeah, the, the 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 famous double pivot. You know, we're playing picking a, a, an exceptionally defensive midfield to play against a team that really don't warrant it. This has happened too many times. So I'm never quite sure what's going on with uh, in Pep's mind with regard to opponents. I think a lot of the time Pep is playing himself rather yes. than the other team yeah. or the other manager, um, and that's actually what we're seeing there. But obviously, no one knows Pep's mind. I was going to say except Pep, but I'm not even entirely sure about that one. Um, so, so who knows? What I, I, I do think is uh, relevant, bearing in mind what um, Isan just said, uh, about trying to use our uh, our brains rather than brawn to, to win games or, or uh, our brain rather than dynamism, I think is probably the best word to, to describe Liverpool. Um, the, the, where that falls down is it, it hasn't been working. Uh, the amount of times our brains have just completely let us down uh, and it, it feels like, as Ethan was talking, I was thinking about kind of getting, you know, getting into a pub fight where you've got some guy that wants to take you out and beat seven shades out of you. Uh, and you say, ah, but uh, what would Michel Foucault say about this? You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and trust me, as the kind of guy who sits in a pub and says, well, what would Michel Foucault say about this? It never works. <laughs> so I can, um, I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of moving ahead on our agenda now, maybe, but um, we've been talking a lot lately what kind of transfers or how, how this team could change. Mm. Um, and I think I, I would just really love City to, to just have a go at playing some heavy metal football, if we want to put it that way. I mean, I, I think um, we should acknowledge that Liverpool, I think, have changed from Pep's first couple of years when that, that heavy metal football was absolutely the right description. And I think they have actually maybe got a bit more cunning than we're giving yeah. them credit for lately. Um, but what they've certainly got is that dynamism. Um, and again, I mean, with the uh, the derby last weekend and then that god-awful West Brom game the other night, I've been thinking a lot about where you know, what's happened to our football over this year. Um, thinking about when we have most recently been our, our absolute best. Uh, and I think it was the um, games against Madrid in the Champions League, either side of lockdown those two games before and after. Mm. Um, and what did we do? What were we capable of doing in those games that made us look like the best team in the planet again, which, you know, we hadn't done for a year or two prior to that. Um, and it was about that dynamism. And you, you remember, particularly in the return uh, tie, when uh, every time a Real Madrid defender got their, got the ball, um, there was Jesus and Raz and Foden and, and whoever else was on the pitch swarming all over them, well, yeah. um, just absolutely, absolutely pestering them um, in the way that, kind of the way that Bernardo used to specialise in. He's, he, I think he's uh, lost his energy and dynamism worse than anyone in the last year or two. Um, but you know that that just that uh, hornet persistence, you know, like like a wasp buzzing around, absolutely refusing to allow them to get out of their their back quarter of their pitch, um, and and it worked, and we were incredibly good at it, and and when our particular when our attacking players are defending in the uh, in you know, in the opponent's penalty box, basically, which is how, you know, how it all begins, we. We look amazing, um, and I don't understand. I mean, the obvious exhaustion and, and uh, you know physical tiredness and all the rest of it is a factor, but I just don't understand why we don't bring more of that to our Premier League games more often. And I think the last time I did this pod, uh, pod um, I was on with Joe Butterfield, who uh, said something really interesting about having a kind of a, a theory that perhaps Pep had given our, our players instructions not to run too much. 
actually not to burn themselves out, not to, to run about too much, um, just because the demands of this season in particular, when it's all compressed and, and we've got two, if not three games a week, without mm. exception, uh, between now or you know, between September and May. Um, and I've been thinking about that ever since Joe said it, and, and it does kind of make sense. And, and I was t- you know, watching the West Ham game the other night. Um, how many occasions were there when Foden had the ball at his feet facing on to, to one of their defenders or defending player. Um, and he looked like he was just about to erupt into a dribble and go, you know, like amazing through the, the middle of their defence uh, and, and make something happen. And instead he just turned, you know, turned 180 degrees in the ball and, and played the safe ball back to Rodri behind him. Um, and it happened again and again and again. I can only think that is under... That's what Pep wants. That's yeah, what that's, what Pep, that's exactly it. And, and, and actually... He got hooked in the second half because he stopped doing that. Like so, I in the second right. half, he goes looking for the ball and he moves off that left hand side to try and affect the game, and he gets hooked for it. I think. Look, I th- this is so. This is like almost the other side of the Guardiola coin in that the Pep way will just always be the Pep way. And I know there's loads of people who go, yeah, Pep's gone away from what his way was, the double pivot. No, 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 no. Look, in the end, right, Guardiola's system is about different things. It's about positional play and it's about the high defensive line and it's about controlling the game through possession. Those are the 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 pillars of belief, whatever you want to call them for the, for the Guardiola system. For him... What we see as possession for the sake of it, for him, is control in a game that, you, that you're not going to lose. And I think that when you talk about the difference between why did, what, what's the difference between the Madrid game and United or West Brom, the difference is we scored a goal. To put it very fundamentally, right, if we score a second against West Brom in the last minute of the game, we all walk away going, mentality merchants, tough game, got the goal in the last minute, yeah? I think you look at the United game, you nick a goal, and you go, unbelievable performance. You've gone to Old Trafford, your derby, one of the toughest games of the season, and you've nicked the points and you've controlled the game, and United have had almost nothing. I think that... Where we, for me, I'm maybe I'm a broken record. Maybe my needle is stuck. But I think most of the problems right now are the fact that I'm looking at the attacking players and I'm going, the attack needs a big refresh. There's players there who, for whatever reason, in my opinion, have peaked at City and are on. That's not to say that they've peaked as footballers, but they've peaked in their city career. And we now need to refresh that because they're not killers anymore. And that's what the difference is. If you've got a killer, you've got two or three killers, you know you're taking one of those chances. So you're picking up those points, those fine margins. They're falling on your side. That's my take. Okay. Well, let's, can, let's, can I come in? Can I just quickly come in and say, I, 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 about a month ago, uh, I was vehemently disagreeing with people making the point that Isan just said, uh, and I have since changed my mind, and I completely agree. The 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 focal point for that um, was a, a conversation about uh, Harland 
and whether he should or could or would come to Man City. Um, and about a month ago, uh, I said quite uh, adamantly, forcefully, um, that he doesn't belong at City, that he, he's not a City-type player, he's not a Guardiola-type player, um, and that if he did come to City, we would have to completely change the way we play. Um, I have now decided that what we need to do is completely change the way we play. Well. <laughs> <laughs> If that means, you know, uh, I mean, obviously, I, I, I still think Pep Guardiola is the best manager we could possibly have or get. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, I've got absolutely no wish to change him. We have got a better chance of building a team that will score 100 points under Pep Guardiola than we do under anyone else. I completely get all that. But I think uh, what Pep might, might need is to reinvent the Guardiola ball. Um, he needs to, to go back to his own drawing board. And I trust him to be able to do that, to have the skills and knowledge and, and genius to pull that off. But I think Alan, one, Alan, one, of, the, one do, of the pieces on the board needs to change in a significant way. Do, do you trust Pep to be able to do that whilst at City, though? Because my, my feeling is, you know, we took that year's sabbatical. Um, he is very much a deep-thinking man. He's someone who needs to go away and, you know, reinvent himself, essentially, and, re- and get all his thoughts in order. He can't do that whilst working on a day-to-day basis at City with a team that is constantly under pressure, can he? You might well be right about that. Um, I, I still go back to what I said previously, though, that I think the chances of him being able to do it even without that sabbatical are higher than the chances of, it, of anybody else yeah, being enough. able to come in and do it. Okay. Um, well, let's just touch on one other aspect, a, a related matter to what we've talked about. But, um, Asan, I, I, I buy into what you're saying, I really do, about the kind of burnout and about the control as well. But one aspect that really bothers me, and you did touch upon it as well, about us playing different now, is we've always controlled fo- the football games. We always have. Of course, we then went on to win 7-2 or 5-1 or whatever it may be mm. because of that clinical edge that we had, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. We don't have that clinical edge anymore, not just because of burnout from the forwards and not because, you know, they've peaked. They are obviously factors, but also our build-up play is completely different. We're not doing these quick kind of triangle passes around the edge of boxes anymore. We're not getting over, not creating overloads anymore. We're not getting kind of players to the byline for a quick cut back. And we've dragged the whole opposition across the one end of the pitch. And there's our kind of uh, opposite window in acres of space to tap it in which is how we scored 10, 15 goals a season. We're not even attempting to do that anymore. And what really brought it home to me was against West Brom, when we did do that on three occasions throughout the game, and on all three occasions, the panic on the West Brom faces. I mean, they did not know what to do. And we're talking here about a five-second burst of just having three players in close proximity to each other, in you know, the attacking third, um, and just quick one-touch passes. Why don't we do those one-touch passes does that come down to strategy? Does that come down to pep? Or is that on the players? I mean, it, it, I think it's a combination of factors. I think that, you know, um, teams are better versed in how to stop Guardiola City now than they were three years yeah. ago. Um, I think that we're not quite as... I mean, so we don't have David Silva. That makes a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're not quite as confident we're not quite as dynamic i think there's that this is the thing that i think that 
and it's very normal, right? That what you want is you want a simple answer. You look at a thing and you go, right, well, this is broken. So why is it broken? And how do I fix it? And generally people are looking for one answer. They go, and it's broken because of X. So you fix it with Y. I'm not sure that you can do that with a team sport that's got 11 players and a coach and opposition. And so, you see what I mean? That like, it's complicated. I agree. We're not as fast. We're not as dynamic. However, that's no excuse for not picking up the points we're not picking up. Fundamentally, we're not good enough in the final third. Fundamentally, all of the stuff about the... And I've got a double pivot theory that's going to blow everybody's minds. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But like fundamentally, yeah, we what we... If we're clinical, we're fine this season. I think we win far more games than we have won. I think we do have an issue with chance creation, but genuinely the bigger issue is we give up too many easy chances. Like, you know, you you can miss one of the ones at the end against West Brom, but two in quick succession, just a player and a goalkeeper and a simple header. Nah, like that's, this is what I mean. Yeah. Like there's just, there's levels to this stuff. The Mares chance against United, the Jesus chance against United, you can miss one of those. You can't miss them both. So, Rahim's control against United when he was playing through and, and he's had I mean, a first touch yeah, that I mean, went 20 that yards. Is, you see what I mean? That This is what I mean. That like When you when you begin to analyse these individual examples, I'm less harsh on Pep because I'm going, yeah. look, the guy's got control. All he wants is the dickheads to put it in the back of the net. <laughs> And they're getting there. They're just not putting it in the back of the net. And he said it all week. He's been like, when they're like, what are you going to do about goal scoring? It's like, they just need to put the ball in the net. That's how you fix this thing. And the, the, the weird thing is that we've had moments where we're creatively very poor. And that's frustrated me. But right now, I'm not so asked about a lack of creativity. I'm just asked about the fact that you can't finish your dinner. And if you can't finish your dinner, well, we could play like... 17 18 Manchester City but if you can't put the ball in the back of the net from inside the 6 yard box what's the coach meant to do about that so there, there's a piece went up in the uh, Manchester Evening News this morning I can't remember who the, the journalist it. was they see it, they, they, it was it was titled something like one amazing trick to solve all <laughs> cities united uh, uh, scoring problems um and the the one amazing trick actually turned out to be like don't play a double pivot, play Bernardo ahead, which is what <laughs> all of Twitter has been saying for six months now. Well, you uh, know what? But, but, but it, it, like the, the one amazing trick it should have been is if I put the bloody ball in the net. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Look, I think so. Here's my thing on the double pivot. I've decided that this is not a conversation about a single pivot or a double pivot. This is a conversation about trust. Guardiola fundamentally does not trust anybody but Kevin De Bruyne, Gundogan, and Rodri to play in the midfield three. Bernardo, whenever he's played there this season, it, Bernardo's looked shit this season whenever he's got on the pitch for me. He looks a shadow of the player he was. He certainly ain't good enough to play for Manchester City on his current form. I'm asked about what he did two years ago. It's a little bit like all the other players. I have no attachment if you're not good enough. If you're not good enough, you're just not good enough. It doesn't matter to me what you did two years ago or four years ago. So for me right now, Bernardo ain't good enough. When he plays there, he's a shadow of the player he was. So Pep does not trust Foden in the eight. 
does not trust him. So he has no choice because in his squad, with David Silva gone, with Fernandinho at the age that he's at, his options are limited to the three that he keeps picking. And I think that is more why we're... People are going, oh my God, Rodri Gundo is the double pivot. No, it's just the selection. The, those two players, Rodri and Gundogan, they're not popular, they're not sexy. So whenever the, the, t- those two are picked in the same side, everybody immediately goes, well, that's a double pivot and that's why we're going to struggle. I don't think that's the case. Gundo has played further advanced than Rodri in plenty of the games that he's played in. I think the selection thing is just about the fact that Pep doesn't trust Bernardo and he doesn't trust Foden and so he doesn't have another option. And... I'd almost be as as bothered as they are about trying to get a number nine. I'd try and get a centre midfield player in January if you don't trust. I think it's almost easier to try and find somebody to play in centre mid if you don't trust Bernardo and you don't trust Foden and you're not going to use them in those positions because it's not sustainable to just have three players that have got to play week in and week out in that position. I, I personally think he's right not to trust Foden in that position and he's right not to trust Bernardo for exactly the reasons you said about Bernardo Silva. And as for Phil Foden, right now where he is, he's an attacking third player. He's not suited for that middle of that park. I wouldn't trust him as manager in that position. He basically is too dynamic, got too much energy. His game is all about kind of, you know, charging forward, dribbles, looking to link up and all the rest of it. Brilliant. He's a magnificent footballer and I love him to death. But I don't want him in the middle of that, that midfield. He's that's mm. not what we're about. We're about control. And, and you know, he basically can't be trusted in that role because he will go wandering. So, yeah, and if, and if we've got uh, KDB there alongside him, who's sole role basically is to kind of create and is to kind of you know drive the team on so he's going wandering as part of the course anyway as his role then what you're left with Rodri just stranded there in the middle from time to time I think I think that's the other thing that you, you you touched upon there that's really interesting and really important to remember is Kevin De Bruyne more or less plays in a free role. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? And to give Kev that free role, you need control around it. Yeah, you can't just have, you know, like I think that the di- if we had a player of the intelligence and the talent of David Silva, we could play with two number eights and Kev would play on the right and the, and the David equivalent would play on the left and we'd have control because there'd be balance there. When Kev has got to do that role on both sides, when he's got to drift between left, right, and up top, because there isn't another player who provides that and affords that, then you need to counter that by having somebody to provide the solidity and the balance. Um, and again, that's a little bit why you're getting the, the Rodri Gundo selections. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, you know, the funny thing is that I'm, and I know that there'll be loads of people listening that'll go, well, you're just a happy clapper. Fine. You can view me however you want to view me, but I'm not disingenuous in what I say when I'm on here. And for me, genuinely, as I sit here, I don't feel the crisis that other people feel at all. I feel like, you know, we are paying the price for a couple, a bit of complacency and a couple of bad transfer windows. And that's the reality of any football club because the truth is that since Ferguson era, ain't nobody dominated anything. And I don't want to repeat myself, but great Madrid sides have fallen off a cliff. Great uh, Barcelona sides have fallen off, cliff, off a cliff. Great Bayern Munich sides have fallen off a cliff. It's just the cycle of football. And what we as a club have to do is transition out of life with Silva, Fernandinho and Aguero into life with whoever the new players will be. 
and still remain relatively consistent. And actually we are because I, we're the only team, unless I'm mistaken, to qualify for the Champions League every year for the last 10 or 12 years. So we've shown a level of consistency nobody else in this league has shown. I don't have fear that we won't finish inside the top four this season. I think that will be, in, I think we'll be in the top two or the top three again. So again, and we've had loads of seasons in the last 10, actually, where at some point, because it's not been going well, people have gone, we won't finish in the top four. Mancini's last season, we won't finish in the top four. We did. Pellegrini's last two seasons, we won't finish in the top four. We did. Um, I just, I think that we, we have a level of consistency. We're a well-run club. We have quality where, you know, shit is just not as bad as people are making out it is. Okay. Well, time is running out against us, but there's one other aspect I really want to discuss. Um, coming at it from a, a, you know, a different angle, I guess, but Ali, can an argument be made that possession football is now becoming somewhat passe, that opponents now had the measure of it? I'm not sure about that. I think um, we, that popped up uh, earlier in the conversation. And I I think we've got a lot worse at playing position football um, rather than opponents getting better at right. it. We, as we were talking about, those little triangles, the sharp passing. Um, when go back and watch uh, City uh, in their prime from you know, the one of the you know the centurion season um and watch how many touches our players have on the ball before a pass and most of the time it's receive pass move receive pass move and all of the players are doing it um you will see all these goals where you know eight nine ten players are, or eleven players have touched the ball um and it's incredibly quick and then watch this season and you'll see it's receive touch 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 step yeah. pass. Yeah. Yeah. Receive, touch, 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 step. Wander around a little, have a little bit of a look at <laughs> what's going on and watch the pigeons in the roof of the stand, uh, get the ball. And, you know, and just everything is happening at a much slower pace. And I've got, I, I, I really uh, struggle to believe that if we played the type of football that we were playing two years ago, it wouldn't be every bit as effective now. Um, because let's face it, you know, defending deep and hitting us in the break is, is not a new invention. Um, no. You know, we were playing against you know like two banks of five or if, if not you know six and four uh all through both of those title winning seasons that's how most teams played against us and i don't think they've found any magic trick to stop uh man city um i think we're just not playing the way we did and the reasons probably are physical exhaustion and psychological burnout and all those other issues that, that we've talked about um and also a little bit of of Pep's tactical tweaking i mean I've got absolutely no doubt that the reason we got a uh, nil-nil draw against United in the derby last weekend is because Pep uh, sent the players out with very, very strict instructions to make sure that we weren't going to lose a goal. We weren't going to get hit in the break by Rashford and uh, Greenwood like we have been every other time we played them in the last couple of years. Um, and so, you know, we are not playing the same game that we were before. Um, now, the the... I think more interesting and challenging question is the one that Isam brought up earlier. Um, is it actually possible to keep playing that type of football year after year after year, particularly with the same players? And, and it may well be that the answer just is no. Um, that if you are going to you know, play at that intensity and that level, uh, then you do have to bring in at least you know, half a new squad every year uh, just in order to keep people and on top of it um but i think you know the, the energy and the dynamism has gone out of our game i think the energy and dynamism has gone out of pep's management 
um, there, there's less urgency. And you, do you remember a couple of years ago, um, whenever if a player was not quite doing what he should be or what Pep wanted him to be, um, Pep would be calling him over at the sidelines and, and giving him like you know like thirty second lectures yeah. with about nine thousand words crammed in, in in instructions. And you see so much less of that. And it is as if Pep has kind of run out of either the ideas or or the the energy to, to convey those ideas. I or think that's a bit harsh, the, you know. Do you think, uh, or, or maybe it's just that the, the players now know what they need to be doing and he's well, got I, teaching that, to be done. Yeah, that to me seems more logical that, like, part of this is, lads, three years in, you know what you need to do. Yeah. Like, you're, the system, as I say, hasn't changed. Like, everybody knows the, you know, the pillars of belief that the system is built on. Everybody knows what their job is and what they're meant to do. But but that does then, uh, I mean, it, it confirms a theory that I've had over recent games that when Pep hasn't made a substitution or many substitutions in the second half, when he hasn't been yelling new instructions, when he hasn't been moving things around, it's because the players have actually been doing what they've been told to do. Mm. And Pep is actually fairly happy with what they've what they, with them doing what they've been told to do. And it's just they're <laughs> coming back to the theme, they're not putting the ball in the net at the end of it. Um, and there's very little, very little Pep can do about that. So, um, yeah, it, it, all of these things feed into each other. And, of course, the reason we are being cautious is because we've been caught out before. The reason we've been caught out before is because the players lost concentration. The reason players lost concentration is because they're burned out and they're exhausted. And, you know, all these the solutions become the problems and, and that's how football is. We, we kind of know it. Um, but it does, uh, I think that the, the running theme through this pod, podcast is it feels that, you know, none of us want to change manager or, you know, um, radically change philosophy. Um, but we do want something to change. Something has to be different because well, what we're doing at the moment really isn't working. I think we all know that now. Yeah, that definitely what it all, all comes down to, and that, that's a, a fitting summation, really, that, you know, there has to be some kind of change because the way we're going, we can't go on like this. We, we just can't. If we see this these kind of performances over the course of a season, who knows, maybe even we won't finish top four this season because this is a very strange season, all told. Um, okay, let's just end with... Looking ahead to Southampton, um, they've lost once in the last 11 games. Danny Ings is back and firing after injury. Um, Ace, what kind of lineup are you anticipating from City? Strong one. I mean, I, I don't think... Uh, I, I think it's a great game to have after West Brom because I always feel as though anything that is perceived as a bad result after that you, I want to see the players challenged and I want to see them step up to that challenge. And I think Southampton, for many reasons, will be a fantastic challenge. Um, and I want to see the players react and step up to it and find a way to win the game. I think in terms of lineups, look, my personal feeling is that there are very few players whose performances merit a starting place currently in the city side. John Stones deserves a start. Diaz deserves a start. Um, do you think of a player outside? Can you pick a player, either of you two, that you go, you know what? His performances have been at a level where he's, his name definitely needs to go on the team sheet. I think Kyle Walker. Kyle Walker, that was, that's who I was going to say beyond that. Yeah, I'm struggling, to be honest. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's quite depressing, that really. really <laughs> <laughs> See, but this is what I mean. That like, there's a, there's a, um, uh, uh, there's, there's the Rodri thing. But if you remove Rodri from it, the commonality for all of those players is they did 198 points in two seasons. Yeah, and I keep coming back to it because I'm looking at them and I'm going, if all of their level drops so much and has been Hannah, basically dropped at the end of that season and has never recovered, then that was it. They peaked. And so now we eat, we need to, between now and the end of the season, eat everything we can out of those players. But then we've got to make big calls come the summer. I'm, I'm okay with breaking the back of this collection of players next summer. I'm okay I'm with it. I'm, I'm demanding it as a fan, frankly. It's needed. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I, I, I think Aguero will go. I think Fernandinho is going. I think one of Mares or Sterling should go. Mares, Sterling, and Bernardo, one of those three should go. Mm. And I think that when once those players leave, the space that gives you uh, the key thing that I would do, the difference that between where I perceive they've been too clever, tried to be too clever, been complacent, is I wouldn't mess about next summer. I'd buy three players that walk into the first team and I'd say to everybody else, you have to raise yourself to that level to get back in the team. Simples. So I'm not buying the equivalent of Leroy or Ferran Torres. I'm buying Sancho. I'm buying Hal, not literally those players, but I'm buying players that are currently doing it at a very high level and I'm bringing them into the squad because I know that everybody else in the squad is going, oh shit, that's my place under threat. Whether you bring in a nine and it's Haaland and you say, Jesus, raise yourself to that level or you bring in a winger like Sancho and you say to everybody else, right, now you've got to fight with him for that spot. But the point is you bring in real challenges and I think that there's a little bit too much of senior player junior player in Guardiola's thinking and one of the ways of breaking the back of that is yard one of the nearly 30 year old players and bring in another youngish top 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 player so that you're not you know you don't feel that hierarchical thing that I sense with Guardiola where he looks at Sterling and Mares and he goes Mares is the club's record signing. Sterling is the club's highest paid player, if not second highest paid player. They can't be dropped for two lads who are 19, 20, who earn a quarter of what they earn, who cost a pittance to bring to the club. That's just the hierarchy that Pep believes that dressing rooms should have. And I'm a little bit, I have a problem with that. And so I feel as though a route for him to get himself out of that is to get rid of a couple of the senior players and build a new young team. Okay. Um, right, well, let's wrap it up, lads. Uh, it's been a fascinating chat. Really enjoyed it. And, and thank you very much for joining us today, Ali. Absolute pleasure. I always love it. Thank you, Aysan, as always, mate. Did I talk too much? <laughs> no, we all talked. It was um, That was really interesting, that. And we covered a lot of bases. There was some bases left untouched, but... There's so much to talk about right now, so let's kind of follow it on next week and and go again, as as it were. And um, lovely, yeah, thank you, mate. Appreciate that. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, and thank you, listeners, for listening in. 
Um, remember to check out the other great stuff we have on the 9320 platform and look out next week for some cracking Christmas pods. In the meantime, take care of yourselves, everyone, and forever up the blues. Happy Christmas!